Sí. Is there a video or? No, no video. All right. Thank God. I'm videoed out. I don't know about you. <laughs> Too much like electronic stuff. Hey, make sure you do stop by and uh, put the card in and grab a bunch of that stuff because I don't want to take it back. There's even this little thing. I thought it was an eyeball or like a bouncy ball, but it's actually lip balm. So if you want to be like Mad-Eye Moody or something, you can also play with it. But, um, but it's lip balm. I was like, what is this? And I was trying to figure it out. And then I like had to pull away because I'm starting to get older and I had to read that it said lip balm. So um, make sure you do fill out the card, take a bunch of that stuff. There's ice scrapers. Give it to your friends and neighbors. Hey, I want to talk to you from, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's a, it's a verse that many preachers preach on, and um, it talks about the will of God. And, and if you're looking for direction, if you've ever asked yourself the question, what am I going to do with my life? Or what does God want me to do with my life? Or what do I, where do I need to go? Or what choice do I need to make? This message is for you. Or it's for somebody you know that's looking for direction that needs that because obviously you already know where you, what you need to do. That's why you're here, right? And this is for someone else, right? But here's the scripture and we're going to look at this scripture and I, want, and I want to start with this premise. Are you ready? I hear people all the time asking me in a counseling appointment, in a small group, in interactions is what's God's will for my life. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Raise your hand. You've heard, you've heard people, or you've asked the question yourself. Are you ready? I'm going to blow this question up right now. What if it's not your life? What if it's not your life? With that in mind, let's read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and then pray. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Precious Father, I just come before you now in the name of Jesus. And I ask, Lord God, that you would teach us your word. I pray, God, that I would not be Samson who got up as he had before, Lord God, and, and did not realize that the Spirit of the Lord was not with him. And so I ask God in the name of Jesus that your spirit would be with me, control me, speak through me. Your spirit would communicate to each person here through the power of your word, Lord God. Help me not to get in the way. I confess my need of you. I confess my dependency of you. And I ask, Lord God, that you would take this word and make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And you would use it to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. I pray, Lord God, you would use it like a sword. 
And I pray, Lord God, you would use it to heal us, to change us, to transform us. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a 15-year-old son. He just got his permit a few months ago, and we were driving down to Florida, and um, we had gotten to the line of South Carolina and Georgia, and we actually stopped at the rest stop in Georgia. And um, so it's my entire family. So I have five children. So it was my three older children, the two younger children. My wife and I were all in the suburban. All the stuff's packed in. We're going down to Florida, okay? And um, my, my wife looks and says, I think we should let Will drive. Now, granted, he's only driven twice in his life. This is the third time, and this is Interstate 95. I was like, great idea. Let's do it. Toss Will the keys said, I want you to get me through the state of Florida. And I was really tired. I had driven. We had left at four in the morning. We had driven all, I had driven all the way to that point. And my wife goes, do you want to sit up front? Or do you want me to sit up front? I said, baby, you sit up front. I'll get in the back and I'll fall asleep and, and it'll be fine. And um, God will take care of us. That was, that was my response. <laughs> now, second time on the road. Now, the reason that I didn't want him to drive through South Carolina is because on the Interstate 95, there's only two lanes. So you've got like the truck lane and then you have like the passing lane, but there's some people that don't like to drive in the truck lane. They just hang in the passing lane and go really slow. You know those people I'm talking about when they should get over to the right lane so you can just use it to pass, but they don't do that. I don't understand that anyway. Driving 101, okay? And um, so, but in Georgia, they actually have three lanes all the way through the state on each side. It's, it's beautiful, okay? So I'm like, this will be great. This will be a great experience for him. He'll get 95 experience. This will be wonderful. I go in the back and I pass out. And as I'm passing out, I hear my wife going, left, 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 right, right, right. Stay in the middle, stay in the middle. <sighs> we, get to, we get to the border of Florida. Oh, we're here? Hour and a half later, my wife is like sweat drops of buckets. Maybe, I think I even saw a little blood. Like she was sweating drops of blood. And we get, to the, we get to the rest area in Florida. Welcome to Florida. Woo, way to go, Will. And my, wife, my daughter goes, was I that bad when I started driving? My older daughter said that. And I said, how'd it go? And she goes, it was rough. I said, do you want to drive or do you want me to drive? She's like, I've driven six times. I've driven, it feels like I've driven six hours, even though it's only been an hour and a half. Because I have done everything and told that boy everything to do. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this story because I was thinking about Jesus and how he slept in the boat with his disciples. And there was a huge storm and it was crazy and he was still asleep with his disciples. And the disciples wake him and go, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, my wife didn't wake me up and go, Andrew, don't you care that we're gonna perish? But she was probably close. Because my daughters, both of my daughters were telling me, he was horrible, dad, he was awful. We almost hit a truck three times. <laughs> Same truck. <laughs> I was like, he liked it. I don't know. But it was the sense of, I was asleep. And the reason that I was asleep was one, I was tired. But two, at the end of the day, it's not my life. 
It's not my kid's life. My, my kids, they don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. They're just on loan. In fact, if you listen to this week, uh, Toby Mack lost his 21-year-old son to a drug addiction, and he wrote a song. It's called 21. I encourage all of you to listen to it. I watched it last night, and I wept. It was, it was, it was so honest because he understood that his son was not his. He understood that his life was not his. My wife and I understand that, that we are not each, we belong to the Lord, that it's not my life, it's not my body, it's not my soul, it's not my choice, it's not my anything, that once I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, once, I have, once Christ has saved me, it's now his. It's now his. It's not my life anymore. And so instead of asking the question, what's God's will for my life, the question needs to be, God, what's your will for your life? This is your life, Lord. I'm just living it. I say that sometimes to my wife. Honey, it's your world. I'm just living in it. But I think in Gloucester, this for us, this is so crucial. Because here's the deal. Not this Easter, but next Easter, I want to be in a new building. And by next Easter, I want to see hundreds of people that have never heard the gospel pack out this building and their lives to be transformed and this community be transformed. As I'm listening to stories of people in Gloucester this week and talking to people of how the high school's a mess and we need another high school and how this is a mess and this, we've got to do this and there's this isn't happening and all of these things. And I'm looking at the stats and only like, there's like less than... 30% of people that are going to church anywhere and, and even fewer are like engaged. And those that do come to church are only going about 1.3 Sundays a month. How do you go 0.3? I guess like, oh, sermon's bad. Let's go after the first third. I don't know. But, but it, it, there's no transformation that's gonna take place. And so before God's gonna give us breath here in Gloucester as as, as, as a church, God wants to give us depth. We've got to get some depth before we can get some breadth. And so God wants to grow us, and I believe this morning that God wants to do this in us for us to recognize that the things that God wants to do out there, he first has to do in here. So with that, don't fall asleep on me. You might be tired. Let's trust the Lord and let's ask the Lord right now, God, what do you want to do? Ask yourself right now in your heart, Lord, what do you want to do with your life? As we start to go through this, are you ready? There's four truths about understanding God's will. Okay, the first one is this. Our salvation, if you're taking notes, write this down. There's a little area to fill in some notes. Our salvation is found in surrender, as is our sanctification. Now, let me explain this to you because I think it's important for us to understand. Most people come to a place in their life. If you're saved here, if Christ has saved you, and you've come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
then let me, let me explain this to you. There came a place in your life where you realized, I can't save myself. I need to respond to the gospel and allow God to save me, and I need God to save me, okay? And you surrender your life in that moment, and God comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he saves you. Now, what's the gospel? The gospel, Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. We repent of our sin. God, I'm so sorry. I can't save myself from my sin. We believe the gospel, which is Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And then we receive Christ into our life, where Christ actually comes into our life, okay? So once that happens, there's a moment in our life in salvation where we've been totally and completely yielded and surrendered to the Lord. And this is the moment of salvation. And for some people, it's a process. And for some people, it's like, bang, okay? So some people, it's like, whoa. Like in that moment, they get, oh, saved. And then for some people, it's like, I think I understand. I think I understand. Oh, I understand. And it's this journey, Either way, you're coming to this point of dying to yourself on a regular basis, of coming to this point of great need, and then you basically go, it's not about me, it's only about Christ, and I need him to save me. So our salvation is found in surrender, okay? And everyone will go, yeah, that makes sense. Some people walk the aisle, some people raise their hand, some people it's just in that moment of, oh my goodness, Lord, I surrender. And Christ comes in and saves us, and it's wonderful, It's amazing. It's beautiful because it begins the process. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You become new in Christ. This is beautiful. Woohoo! This is the exciting part. But just as our salvation is found in surrender, so is our sanctification. And let me define for you what sanctification is because that's a word that you see in Romans a lot and you're like, okay, I don't really understand what that means. I don't really understand what that means either. But let me explain it to you as best as I can. Sanctification is the continual process of God making us more like Jesus. Are you like Jesus now? Well, because I'm saved and Jesus kind of covers me, yes, I'm like Jesus, but I don't really act like Jesus all the time sanctification is now that I'm saved, it's that process of God making me more like Jesus little by little. It's the process of him. Sanctification really means to be, to be made holy, to be set apart. Okay, that's what sanctification means. So it's the idea of God making me more and more like Jesus Little by little, Romans 6, 6 gives us this passage to give us kind of an understanding. We know that our old self was crucified with him, okay? Was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So it's the idea of God freeing us little by little from our sin, And this happens for the rest of our life. It begins at the moment of salvation and it happens through the rest of our life. This is the depth that I'm talking about. Because here's the deal, as we are more conformed in the image of Jesus, where we're, think about Play-Doh, as we stuff it in those little, have you ever seen those little, I play with Play-Doh because I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, so I really like it and I even still taste it because I like it. Um, But, and you take it and then you stick it in those little things and then you mash it 
and then you open it up, and, it, and it's the new image. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever, am I just speaking to myself? Um, you know, and then there's that little image. Why? What happened? I just had a lump of Play-Doh, and I stuck it in, and I conformed it. Okay? That means there was all this stuff that didn't fit in there. There was all this stuff that had to be cut out. That's the sin. That's the process of sanctification that God is doing in your life, whether you like it or not. Because there's some of us that like to hold on to our sin. We have these little pet sins, you know, we keep them in designer bags and we take them on planes and stuff and that, you know, and some of us really like to, to have those sins and we don't want God to deal with that sin because that's our pet sin. No, that's what God's trying to get rid of. That's the process of sanctification. That's the process. And so he's conforming us. And so that when it opens up, all of that junk gone, Christ, we look just like Christ. Now, that's not going to happen fully until we enter into Christ, heaven, eternity, eternal life. But the process of us to enjoy eternity in heaven and eternal life, why is this important? Because the more that he cuts off, the more capacity we'll have to enjoy him forever. <laughs> that really makes me excited because that's the, that's the point of the story is that I get to be with Jesus forever, that I get to be with my loved ones forever, that I get to see and enjoy my wife, even though she won't be my wife because there's no marriage in heaven, but I get to be with her forever. I get to be with my children forever. That's the beauty that we get to have eternal life. And how do we know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He's walking, talking eternal life. And so therefore, it was kind of a little taste, a little snapshot of what's to come. We're gonna have new bodies like Jesus' body. And we know that because Jesus rose from the dead. So our salvation is found in surrender, as is our sanctification. Because in the Old Testament, understand this, this is the beauty of Christ. In the Old Testament, when massive sin used to take place, people had to pay for it themselves or there was a sacrifice that actually took place. I'll give you some examples, okay? So like the, the first example that I wrote was the sin of Achan and Joshua. All right, I need air, man, because I am dying. How many of you guys are dying? Is everybody, is, are you hot? Yeah, oh man, yeah. Maybe it's just because I'm wearing this vest, but I'm gonna take this bad boy off. Let's get some air. I can't breathe. Turn that air conditioner on. It's, it's winter. <laughs> All right? So here's the deal. I love this room. I, by the way, I love this. Um, because like, you guys can give it back to me. Like, like yell at me. Like you're like, keep going. Or whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, so the first thought I thought of was Achan in Joshua. Remember in Joshua? Where there's the sense of, God says, Joshua gives the commands to all the people, don't take any of this stuff from, it's all the Lord's, no gold, no nothing, we're just gonna burn it up as an offering to the Lord, and then Achan steals some gold and some clothing and stuff and hides it under his tent, okay? Well, what happened? Well, God said, hey, it's Achan, they reveal this, they go through this whole ordeal, no one comes clean, finally, Achan is like, yes, I did it, and then he's stoned, remember this? And his family is stoned and all his servants are stoned and all his animals are stoned and there's just this big pile of rock of Achan and what's left with Achan. Okay, now 
That doesn't happen because Christ paid for that on the cross. Phineas, you guys know the story of Phineas? He was, he was the son of the high priest. And there was this Israelite man came in, made a spectacle, bringing this Moabite woman. And there's this horrible, and basically he's like, we're gonna mate with the Moabite woman if we want to. And he goes into his tent and Phineas is, and the angler of the Lord is so angry, he's gonna destroy the Israelites. And Phineas goes in with a spear and he stabs the, the Israelite man and the woman and he pins them to the ground with the spear, lots of blood. I mean, it's in the scripture. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord is appeased. Well, that spear, now we don't have to spear anybody because that spear was in Christ, remember? And blood and water flowed because Christ now pays for that sin, okay? Think about, think about the, the, the David. Remember, there's a big plague. David, David counts his, his people and his troops, God says, you shouldn't have done that. I told you not to do that. You did that. You disobeyed. And so there was a plague that comes through and thousands of people died. Well, that plague now was on Christ. It was on Christ on the cross and he paid for it. And he took the plague on him so that we don't have to be plagued. This is the beauty of Christ. This is the beauty of salvation. Because of Christ, that's, that's why we can be sanctified over time and not have to pay for these gross and horrific sins. Does that make sense? Because of Christ now, we can go through this process to enjoy him forever in eternity. Now you need to understand this as we're getting ready to understand, as we're understanding God's will, we have to understand this fact that our salvation is found in our surrender, as is our sanctification. That's why the apostle Paul says, I believe you, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies living sacrifice. He's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm begging you that you would surrender your life now again as you did at salvation. And you should surrender it every day as a living sacrifice. Because we don't have to pay for our sins as a dead sacrifice like they did before Christ. We can present ourselves a living sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? Because of Christ, we can be a living sacrifice. Why, why is this important? And why, is, why does he start with the physical? Because let me share something with you. Before you sin, usually you t your physical self does something. So for example, before you look at pornography on the computer, your physical hand clicks on the mouse or whatever, I don't know, mouse. Before you sin and gossip, your hand picks up the phone and calls somebody to gossip. So you're physically doing something before you mentally, emotionally, spiritually do something. So the apostle Paul starts and says, present your body a living sacrifice. Lay it on the altar, all of it, physically. And, and what's a sacrifice? What, what can a sacrifice do? Nothing. What does a sacrifice do? In the Old Testament, they put a sacrifice on the altar. What did that sacrifice do? Got up and said, man, this is feeling kind of warm. Oh, what is that? Is that a knife? Oh, they're, I guess they're going to make stew. No, a sacrifice dies. 
A sacrifice does nothing except die and bleed out. So to present yourself a living sacrifice, you're like, how do those words go together? The apostle Paul's saying, you're alive, but you come and you die to yourself, to your desires, to your want. Basically he's saying, it's not your life anymore. You've presented yourself a living sacrifice. Secondly, is this, our bodies, and these are gonna go fast now, our, our life, our life, not our bodies, our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ. Much like the same, I present you, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 says this, but go ahead and write it down. Our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ. I before E except after C. Um, but there's no C there, and but this is an exception, okay? Forfeit is E-I. So I spelled it wrong originally. That's why I know. Okay. Our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What was Jesus saying? Jesus saying, hey, there's a cost to follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is the denial. This is the forfeiture of your life. Matthew, um, and 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 says this, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, he's talking to Christians whom you have from God, you are not your own. Verse 20 says, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. It's not my life, it's not my body, it's not my choice, it's not my children, it's not my wife, it's not my money, it's not my car, it's not my house, it's not my job. It all belongs to the Lord. I've forfeited everything to Christ. So God, what is your will for your life? I don't know if you watch the Golden Globes and the woman stood up and gave thanks to her abortion so that she could get a job. I saw, I saw, I read something afterwards and it said she held a golden idol in her hands, then proclaimed she sacrificed her child for it. She forfeited her life for her golden idol. We as Christians are to forfeit our life for Christ. I want to share a picture of a guy named Pastor Philip. I was in Myanmar. We're checking out on all of our missions. We do this regularly throughout the years because we give so much to missions away. We want to make sure that the money is being invested properly. And so we go on these missions trips and I ask all the hard questions because we're investing. This is Pastor Philip. Pastor Philip went to a group of people on water. And I'm not lying. It's a lake and they live on these stilts on waters and they farm on the water. They do this hydroponics type of thing. And this village or this people group had not been reached with the gospel ever. And he started going in 2015. And he started going through boats 
and talking to people from his boat about the gospel. He did this one day a week for two straight years. Nobody asked him to do it. He said, there's a whole group of people that have never heard the gospel. And for generation after generation after generation, they have died and gone to hell and because nobody's told them about Jesus. And I'm going to be the one to tell them about Jesus. Nobody paid him to do it. Nobody, there was no, there was no mission fund. There was no meeting. He was just like, they need to hear the gospel. And the average person has to share the gospel 30 times before they see one person converted. Okay, let me say that again. You have to share your faith um, at least 30 times before one person gets converted with 30 different people, okay? So he's sharing his, over two years, one day a week, he's sharing the gospel over and over and over again for two years to a group of people that speak a language that have never heard the gospel. And in 2017, there was a 25-year-old girl that heard the gospel and the gospel touched her life and her life was changed and transformed as she received Jesus Christ and she got excited about the gospel. So Pastor Philip started to disciple her, give her some stuff. She went to the village chief she shared the gospel with him. He came to know Christ. Go to the next picture. That's the 27-year-old. Well, she's 20, she was 25 at the time, 27. She led the chief to the Lord. That's him. That chief led a nurse to the Lord that was the nurse for the community doing all the medical care. She goes house to house doing medicine. She shares the gospel every time she goes. In 2019, 45 people have come to know Christ from this group, group of people that had never heard the gospel before, never had anybody accept Christ because this man looked at it and said, it's not my life. I counted forfeit to Christ. And so therefore the gospel's worth it. And I'm gonna talk to anybody and everybody that will listen to me because I want them to be saved and I want them to be in heaven. Remember every tribe, tongue, and nation, there was a tongue that wasn't represented around the throne. And in 2017, they had the first tongue represented around the throne. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? That means Jesus is coming back. That's what it means. And so she led that nurse to the Lord and that nurse led that boy to the Lord and that boy, his story was the boat, my, they have, everybody has a boat, my boat engine blew up, black everywhere, I thought I was dead, I go into the water, I come out of the water, I'm thinking I'm dead, I'm burned, this is horrible. The nurse tends to him and says, what you really need is Christ, he's changed my life, he can change yours and he saved you so that you could do, so that you could have a plan and a purpose for your life. He gave his life to Christ, he led that woman to the Lord. Anyway, there's 45 Christians now. I would love to do this in Gloucester. I'd love for you to lead one person to the Lord and disciple that person. And then that person leads someone else to the Lord that's discipling that person. And that person leads someone to the Lord to discipling that person. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six generations you see right there. They've led that next person to the Lord. And guess what? They're discipling them. And they're a part of four house churches. This is awesome. And guess what? They ain't waiting for us. They're not waiting for the American missionaries to come to show them all the ways of the Jedi. They're, they're, they're just like, we got the gospel. There's people that don't know Christ. People, communities, villages, we're gonna go tell them. This is beautiful. 
But until we get to that point in Gloucester, we have to, find, we have, we have to recognize that our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ and we recognize it's not our life. Number three, our living is found in our transformation. So how do we understand the four truths about understanding God's will? Our salvation is found in our surrender of sanctification. As is our sanctification, our life is found when we forfeit it to Christ. Number three, our life is found in our transformation, not confirmation. Be not conformed, but be transformed. I don't hold this woman that held her golden idol in ill repute because she was just conformed to the patterns of this world like everyone else without Christ. She just needs Christ. Then she can be transformed. Let me share something with you. People don't change. If you're looking next to your spouse, your spouse is never gonna change. I love you. All you well-meaning people, some of you younger people up here in the back, I know you guys just got married. We're so in love. I'm gonna change them. No, you won't. I still put my underwear behind the door. It's a confession. It's a confession. Sorry, babe. Sorry. People don't change. <laughs> people don't change, but people can be transformed. Transformation's possible. And it's not people that do the transformation, it's Christ that does the transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our living is found in our transformation, not our confirmation. Let me share with you some two pictures. Some, some, some first picture, bring up that picture so I know which pastor I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about Ha Tu Hong. That's Pastor Ha Tu Hong. He came to a pastor's training conference. It took him three days to get there. He's from the Chan State in Myanmar, which has had a, a civil war in that area for 64 years. In fact, as he was making his way to come to this pastor's training conference to come hear me preach, I'm not even that good of a preacher. His car and the people who were with him were shot at. There were bullet holes in his car when he arrived. Now, I take one bullet, I'm going to turn around and go home. Shoot, if there's a little bit of snow on the ground, I'm going to turn around and go home. It's raining. I don't think we'll go to church today. It's sunny. I think we should go boating today. This guy gets shot up and he still makes it to the pastor's training conference because he goes, I don't want to miss what I need to have so I can take it back to the people that God has entrusted to me. Yeah, by the way, he's planted 84 house churches, which means he has 84 Timothys that he's training as pastors. He's not even full time. He has another job. He does construction on the side so that he can help fund his churches. It's just disciples making disciples making disciples. We have to be disciples if we're going to reach Gloucester that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And here's the deal. If we go after churched people, eh, they're going to bring their baggage if we get lost people they don't have, and they get saved, they don't know any different. Because coastal, because we're sinful people, we're really screwed up. We make lots of mistakes. woo But they don't know any different because they just got saved. 
All we know is that we need to love Jesus and be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to be in this process. And we try to do it through small groups. And we try to do it in going on connect, grow, serve. We try to do it and make it as simple as C, spot, run. That's the way I look at connect, grow, serve. Connect in corporate worship, grow in small groups, serve in ministry and mission. This thing out here is about serving in ministry. Okay, remember depth before breadth. It's us all getting engaged and, and taking responsibility. That's the process of transformation. Pastor Ha Tu Hong, he recognized that he had to be transformed, not conformed to the image of the world. Because the image of the world and the conform, you know, be conformed at like the patterns of the world, you get shot at, yeah, you turn around, you go home. No, but he was transformed and he said, you know what? We really need to get this stuff to our people. So we're going to go and get the next set of training. <laughs> and he was like, pastor, I'm so glad you're here. He's saying this to me at an interpreter. And I was like, I suck. <laughs> sorry. Some of you guys are offended when I just said that. I'm really sorry. That was really what I thought though. I was like, you're the hero. I should be listening to you. Romans 8, 29. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be not conformed, but be transformed. What did, what did he, Pastor Ha Tu Hong? Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, who's his son, Jesus Christ, in order that he might be the firstborn among his brothers. So the, the idea is that Christ is the template and we're to conform into that template. The Plato, that's Romans 8, 29. Ephesians 2, 10. I love this verse because I love the Greek in it. It says, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is the word pomia. It's where we get the word poetry. We are God's poetry. He's writing you your life, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I like what the King Jimmy, Jim says, the King James. He says, be not, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The idea is, in the way the King James kind of says it is, is it prepared beforehand for us to do. That's what it says. So there's a little, little more emphasis it's that idea that God's prepared works for us, for us to do. That means there are people that God has in your life that are not saved, that he has prepared a good work for you to do by sharing the gospel with them and helping them and loving them into the kingdom so that they can be around the throne worshiping God too. Maybe it's in Guinea. That could be an unreached people group. Who's from Guinea. Yes, reach them, reach them. No, reach them. No, I, I, I talked to some people and I tried to share Christ with the guy and man, he wasn't interested. And I was like, wow. He said, I'm, I'm good enough. I was like, wow, okay. But, but God wants to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. He wants to reach every little aspect of Gloucester, every single little people group. The middle school, that's an unreached people group. Just middle schoolers alone. I have a middle schooler. I'm like, what happened to my daughter? She's changed. 
Think about the people that you work with. Are they unreached? We reach them through our transformation, not our conformity. Pastor in Raccoon, Pastor Sahai Hate, knew there were no churches in the Raccoon region. This is where the genocide's taking place in Myanmar. He's the one on the left, not the big guy. He and his wife felt the urge to go to this area because there were no churches. It's the Muslim area. It's where the genocide's taking place. The Miramese are killing all those Muslims because they don't want him there, and a lot of them are fleeing. Well, he went there. The Muslims hated him because he was a Christian. The Miramese said, get out. You shouldn't be here. You're going to get killed. No one would give him a place to stay. No one would rent him a house. So what he did was he and his wife for a year and a half slept on the side of the road so they could share the gospel with people. And they went from village to village sharing the gospel. Finally, someone came to know Christ. He planted a church. As he planted the church, started to grow. He still didn't have a place to stay. They started praying. All of those churches in Miramar, he came back for the pastor's conference, knew what was going on. They took an offering and they gave him money and he actually bought a little piece of land and he actually built himself a house which was burned down two years later because the Muslims were mad that he was converting some of the people. And the Miramar then came in and destroyed a bunch of these villages where he had house churches and they all fled to Bangladesh. He said, you, should think, you would think I was I'm discouraged, but I'm so encouraged because now God has given me a new group of people that have moved in and now I get to share the gospel with them and now the gospel is gonna go forth in Bangladesh and I can continue to reach new people that Christ has never heard. What? <laughs> I'd have driven home and been like, loser, failure. because he understood it wasn't about conforming to the world and what the world does or says. It was about being transformed. Number four, finally, this. I'm out of time. Our true thinking reveals God's will. And I don't have time to really unpack this, but I want to kind of give it to you this way. Because what does he say? He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, you ready? This is, this is, you need to understand this. Knowing truth brings discernment. Okay? That brings knowledge of the will of God. Let me say that again. Knowing truth, Christ, the word of God, brings knowledge of what the will of God is. How do I know that? Because look at what the scripture says. Be not, conformed to the, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Literally in the Greek, the renewal of your mind, what that means is be transformed by the way that you think. That's literally what it's saying, that your transformation comes when you change the way that you think. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about truth thinking, thinking truth. Philippians 4, 8, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are good to report. If there'd be anything excellent, if there'd be anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on truth. When you replace the lies that you're telling yourself every day with the truth of God's word, you will be transformed. And you will then be able to discern what God wants from you. 
because you're no longer believing lies. Now you're believing truth. See how that works? That's how you know the will of God for your life. You understand your salvation. You understand it's not your life. You understand truth, the truth of God's word. I wish I could unpack that more. I call it the ABCs, but we're gonna skip it for another time. Here's the conclusion. It is not our life. Put all your eggs in one basket. And I'm not talking like financially in regards to like diversify your portfolio. No, I'm saying this. Put all your eggs in one basket, your money, your life, everything. And take that basket and hand it to Jesus. Because it's not my life. It's not my stuff. I covet your prayers. We're going with 40 people to Thailand. And I need your prayers. We leave on Friday. We have three missions trips this summer. Some of you have never been on a missions trip. I'll help you get there. We're going to Bolivia. We're going to Puerto Rico. And we're going to Honduras. June, July, August. Totally spread out, so you're without excuse. Thailand missions team, need your prayers. If you look and say, I want to go with you on a missions trip, I'll take you. We're going and checking out other things. We're, we're supporting a guy in Colombia that's on the border of Venezuela, and he's trying to go, and he's trying to plant churches secretly in Venezuela. We're talking about going and seeing him this summer. We're talking about going back to Jordan and working with some pastors in Egypt because they can't proclaim the gospel in Syria. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we're supporting, and the gospel is going out, and it's working, and it's winning, and people are coming to know Christ, and we sh- this should excite us and encourage us for our own mission field of Gloucester. There's lots of people that don't know Christ. Woo! And all we're asking you today is to go get some free stuff and to drop a card off. I can do that. Fill out your card. Band's gonna come and play as we exit. I'm gonna pray. If you don't know Christ, surrender your life and invite him into your life. Explain the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I know I went long. I didn't even mean to go long, God. Thank you. Help us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we would know the will of God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you because it's not our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.